Welcome in to another new NACE International podcast. My name is Ben Dubose, and I'm a staff writer with Codings Pro Magazine and with Materials Performance Magazine. Today, as we continue our Codings Pro interview series, we're joined by Jack Fearing, managing partner of Fearing International Group. Jack now has more than 30 years of experience in occupational safety and health compliance. Jack, good afternoon. How are you? Thanks, Ben, and I'm doing fine. It's certainly a pleasure to be here with you today. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on. For anyone who's not aware, we've had Jack as a contributor to Codings Pro in the past. We rely on his knowledge of safety and health compliance as it pertains to Codings contractors. And really, that's what we're going to be talking about today. But before we get into specific Codings issues, tell our audience a little more about yourself, Jack, as well as Fearing International Group. What's your background and expertise as it pertains to the regulation side of the Codings industry? Thanks, Ben. To begin with, as you mentioned, I've been doing this for over 30 years, and when I say that, it it it, uh, it makes me feel old. <laughs> uh, but uh, I <laughs> I uh, I try to shrug that off. Um, I've actually began my career in safety while I was in the military as an aviation safety officer in an Army aviation unit. Uh, that required several months of training, then monitoring both Army regulations on the flight line and applicable OSHA standards in the hangar. When I got off active duty, I pursued a career in occupational and aviation safety after graduate school, and I've worked in various industries over the years, including manufacturing, chemical, pharmaceutical, and the Department of Defense. My responsibilities have also included training, contractor safety and management, audits, and that was both domestic and international. I had the pleasure of traveling quite a bit during my career on, uh, as, as a member of corporate America and various management positions. Prior to starting uh, Fearing International Group in uh, 2013, I was a director of safety for a defense contractor providing direct employee support uh, for LOGCAP 4 in the Middle East uh, to the military. And uh, we had over 15,000 employees, including over 200 safe professionals. Our core support for the military uh, during that period uh, primarily in Afghanistan, was uh, construction management of various things. Uh, the infrastructure, as you can imagine, had been pretty well destroyed. If, if that is, that which existed to begin with. And then aviation maintenance. Uh, we provided not only aviation maintenance for the military, but also some of the countries that, uh, the host countries that we, that we operated in. Big uh, is the veteran-owned small business. Uh, located in New Jersey, and we provide management, consulting, training, specifically OSHA 10 and 30 courses, and inspection services to a variety of clients in the tri-state area primarily, but we do have national clients and a couple of multinationals as well. This includes, as I mentioned, OSHA 10 and 30 training and management systems, uh, affectionately known now uh, as ISO 45001. So in this Codings Pro interview series, what we typically do on these podcasts, we look at some of the big news stories of the day, and we try to break down what they mean for Codings contractors. And within health and safety these days, one obvious storyline is the new beryllium rule from the U.S. Occupational Safety and Health Administration, otherwise known as OSHA, as Jack just referred to. And the most recent rule has taken effect as of September 30th. So... Jack, let's start there. What's the new OSHA rule, and what does it mean for coatings contractors? That's a great question and a good place to start. The thing about the beryllium standard that I think is important to note is that 
uh, OSHA often uh, phases standards in, particularly those that are very rigorous. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that the beryllium standard was a final rule in January of 2017. Uh, And at that time, it primarily covered exposure, both an eight-hour exposure to employees who were exposed to beryllium and also short-term exposure. And they had developed guidance on what that should be. Uh, And and then uh, really the standard also included not only exposure, but what they call ancillary provisions. And those were things like medical surveillance, exposure control, personal protective equipment, HASCOM, which we all, we, we all refer to that, hazard communication, chemical safety, and of course, record keeping. Record keeping when we're dealing with exposures such as beryllium is, is very important and we'll, and we'll circle back on that a little bit. But, uh, you know, they, uh, they didn't really start enforcing all the provisions, as you just mentioned, uh, until September 30th of this past month. So the standard's been out there in various forms with various types of compliance responsibilities. And in the meantime, uh, now that it's being enforced, uh, OSHA is going to use what's called good faith uh, of the employees over the first 45 days, and again, not unusual, where they will monitor what they're doing, uh, they'll collect samples of employees who are exposed and so forth. And what they've also done because of the potential severity of, of excessive exposure to beryllium is they've, they've, they've listed uh, 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 beryllium and, and, uh, uh, as a carcinogen. And, and that's a very important thing to know because of the exposure. And uh, what, we've, uh, what we've learned and what we know is that it does cause or certainly can cause uh, what we call chronic beryllium disease, which is lung cancer. And as a result of that, there's a lot of rigor in terms of what employers who use beryllium should be aware of. First of all, when we talk about what is beryllium, you know, it's a very strong metal. It's used in a variety of industries, and it's often used, particularly in the construction industry, in the coatings industry, uh, for um, uh, operations that require a great deal of heat, such Mm -hmm. as welding, slag, and, and generating slag, and so forth. Um, there's a lot of provisions to the standard, as I mentioned, in terms of the ancillary provisions uh, that are cited in the standard. And the, the main thing is uh, that it is the whole program that OSHA's developed has been designed to protect employees. And in the scheme of compliance, beryllium is probably a pretty small population compared to, say, uh, hazard communication, personal protective equipment, and many other lockout, tagout material handling. OSHA estimates there's probably only or less than 100,000 employees in that, you know, commute, that work segment or community, uh, if you will. Um, so employers are very much encouraged and required, obviously, uh, to provide a great deal of, of uh of exposure activities or uh, uh, exposure limiting activities uh, when using beryllium. And uh, as a result of that requirement, they are required to have a written exposure control plan, which provides all of the activities that they're doing to control the exposure, including the training. And it also includes, as I mentioned, uh, various medical surveillance. Medical surveillance is a key part of the beryllium standard compliance 
And one of the things that I would caution uh, those of you who are using beryllium is the record-keeping requirements. Anytime you're doing medical surveillance on a carcinogen in particular, but uh, any activity that requires it in the standard, uh, the record-keeping requirements are quite onerous. They are a two-part requirement. Number one, for the duration of an employee's career with your company, however long or short that might be, plus 30 years. And 30 years is a long time, and as I mentioned, uh, because beryllium is a known carcinogen, there is a latency activity there, a period, and as a result of that, medical uh, records must be maintained for a very long period of time in order to satisfy that requirement of the standard. Let's switch gears and talk about what's going on with regards to silica, because that's another pretty pertinent issue for coatings contractors. What's the latest on the silica front with OSHA? Well, that's another good question because that's another uh, hot topic. Uh, it is certainly a different breed of cat from beryllium. You know, when we talk about exposure, Ben, uh, typically when we're talking about beryllium and, and the heat generation of the, mm -hmm. of the carcinogen, we're talking about fumes. On the other hand, uh, even though the standard is very much as rigorous, uh, the reality is that we're now talking about uh, inhalation of solids. Uh, silica or crystalline silica, as it's referred to, uh, is found in a variety of construction and coating materials that use sand, stone, bricks, mortar, those kinds of things. And, and it's, it's very difficult because the respiratory uh, elements of crystalline silica are 100 times smaller than the average grain of salt. Uh, sand, excuse me. So if we put that in perspective, uh, you know, the, the respiratory requirements are very rigorous in terms of what the employee is supposed to do uh, in order to protect the employees through the use of appropriate personal protective equipment. And there are a variety of different tasks that are cited in the crystalline silica standard, uh, everything from stationary masonry saws, uh, grinders, dowel drilling for through concrete, uh, vehicle-mounted drilling rigs, small drivable milling machines, a variety of different equipment that's used throughout uh, the coatings and construction industry, and all of those things can generate possible exposure. And once again, uh, silica, crystalline silica, is in fact a carcinogen, and as a result, it has a lot of very rigorous requirements, uh, and, and, and uh, they are cited in the standard. Uh, and it's very important to understand that, once again, in order to be in compliance with the standard, uh, uh, employers who, uh, who generate that sort of hazard for their employees, and it's a much larger population than beryllium, I might add, as you can imagine, uh, must mm -hmm. have a written exposure control plan. And one of the unique things about silica that's important, Ben, is you have to have a competent person. A competent yep. person must be designated, and that competent person doesn't necessarily have to be a safety professional, but it has to be somebody who is very familiar with the hazards associated with exposure to silica and what the control measures are, but and also has the responsibility to correct hazards or other uh, noncompliance issues as they are identified. So that's a very important uh, person in the compliance program. Once again, because of the dust, that's generated, as I mentioned, as a result of the various operations 
that are used to, to generate silica airborne and cause the respiratory issues, that housekeeping is a very big issue uh, in the use of silica, particularly when it comes to things like compressed air. We know there are very specific standards on using compressed air, particularly to clean yourself. Uh, and OSHA does not allow that when using silica. They do allow you to clean the work surfaces, but not to clean it off yourself because mm -hmm. of potential for uh, contamination and so forth. And then, of course, the medical examination, as I mentioned, because it uh, it's, uh, has the potential for uh, creating uh, lung cancer. You can imagine that x-rays are involved, pulmonary function tests, the usual suspects, if you will. And then, of course, the records, as I mentioned, the retention period is extensive. And then training. You know, OSHA recently been, has come up with a, a term uh, called unauthorized training. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's different from a competent person and so forth. But the authorized trainer is not just anybody that a company can select to conduct their training. Uh, it's somebody who has, number one, some uh, gravitas or some credentials, perhaps is a better word, uh, to conduct training, number one. And number two, they have the experience necessary. Hence the term and the the utilization of, of what I like to think of as train the trainer. A lot of companies, when they require an authorized trainer, they're selecting competent people, uh, trained and, and skilled in the materials that they're training and using them to, to train versus human resources, the training department, security, or even an outside consultant. So beyond beryllium and silica, because we've got some great input there, I think, what else is going on with OSHA in 2020? I know that there's clearly a lot of other issues that they're considering, certainly in regards to the COVID-19 pandemic and what that means for workers like coatings contractors that physically go out to job sites these days. Can you share some of the updates, Jack, as far as other things beyond silica and beryllium that OSHA is working on right now that may pertain to our contractors? Absolutely. And, and I would start by saying that that's a very broad question, and I would ask you, Ben, how much more time do we have? And, and I'm only <laughs> kidding. But the reality is that since March, uh, when things started to heat up, the economy relatively uh, across the board shut down. A lot of industries were closed. They've certainly been trying to reopen for a variety of reasons and had a lot of challenges. But during that period and ever since up till today, OSHA has, has issued many interim or temporary standards, uh, and they are, again, relying on employers to utilize good faith in terms of how they're trying to comply, particularly where we have a much larger remote workforce now, uh, not so much in the coatings industry, perhaps, uh, but certainly across the board, we have work at home, uh, which has become very prevalent uh, and very difficult as a result for OSHA to enforce a lot of the standards uh, that are out there. But you know, when we look at standards that they've, they've really uh, started to focus on, obviously OSHA record keeping is one of them. Uh, obviously prior to March of this year, when it came to recording, reporting, and investigating a uh, COVID-19 case, which by the way, classified as an illness versus an injury, and certainly we use the same record keeping forms, but OSHA has been very uh, they've actually updated their record-keeping requirements across industry, both general industry and construction, which certainly coatings falls into both of those categories, uh, 
they've updated their ocean record keeping twice. So there's a lot of changes there, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of judgment that goes with that in terms of recording. Other changes that have been significant are include personal protective equipment. Uh, primarily, when we talk about respirators, you know, there's always a lot of discussion, not only in the industry and with the regulatory agencies, but even on the news, you know, differentiating between face coverings, surgical masks, and respirators. And there is a world of difference between all three of those, uh, to be sure. And as a result of that, OSHA has been uh, very specific in terms of, you know, when a respirator is required and if it's a negative pressure respirator, if if it's using the right filtration system. Needless to say, if I flash back to beryllium and silica for just a moment, Mm -hmm. needless to say, as I said, you would use need a respirator in both cases, but you would need a different filtration system in order to prevent exposure to the employee. Uh, Eye and face protection, again, a a key component of the social distancing, uh, you know, the the right type of eye protection, face protection, uh, as as I mentioned, um, the record keeping, sanitation is another area. One of the things that OSHA has exercised uh, more than normal as a result of what's going on is what they call the general duty clause. And the general duty clause, which is affectionately referred to as 5A1, is activated by OSHA when a specific standard or an element of noncompliance doesn't really have a written requirement. And 5A1 refers to an employer's responsibility to provide a safe and healthy workplace for all of their employees. So that's how that goes, uh, as I said. Um, The other thing that's very important when it comes to OSHA is they've started to collect data and publish data on, you know, what's been going on. And uh, so far since March, uh, OSHA has issued 28 noncompliance citations to over 30 establishments totaling penalties of over half a million dollars. So, and those are very COVID-specific violations that they've identified in both general industry and construction. And a lot of them have to do, as you can imagine, with personal protective equipment. Not all of them. The others, you know, they, they deal with recording and reporting fatalities related to, uh, to COVID-19. So the record-keeping activities and so forth. And as I mentioned, uh, the uh, general duty clause. Throughout all that, OSHA has has uh, indicated that by their estimation, uh, those activities have protected over a half a million employees from the various COVID-19 hazards that exist in a typical workplace. So for a contractor that's listened to all of this over the past 20 minutes or so and maybe wants to see some of this in writing, they need some resources or they've got further questions about compliance, what are some of the places that they can go to? Where are some of the outlets online or elsewhere that have resources that can allow them to get this type of uh, detailed and updated information when they need it? Again, very good question. And I think something that that all of our listeners should certainly uh, take note of. Uh, I would start by saying the OSHA website. It's amazing how valuable the information is there. And I know a lot of people have a perspective of OSHA that that, uh, may not be favorable, but the reality is that they provide a tremendous amount of useful information, easy to get uh, on the website. Uh, They, for example, for those of you who are interested in a quick and almost daily update, 
they have a uh, text that comes out called Quick Takes, and Quick Takes comes out every day, and it's got a variety of different compliance activities that are taking place. OSHA has certainly gone a long way. They have a great deal of uh, assistance programs, or what we call what they call on-site consultation programs, for both small and large construction companies that you know that compete in the in the coatings industry and so forth. You may have heard of SHARP, which is the Safety and Health Achievement Program. Uh, they have an alliance program with trade associations, unions. Uh, they have partnerships with various uh, major unions, such as the IBEW, the Electric Transmission and Distribution Construction Contractors. And certainly, there are others, particularly for large companies. Uh, you know, they have the OSHA Challenge Program, and they have the gold standard, which is the VPP program. So OSHA has a tremendous amount of activities. And by the way, the two topics that we've highlighted today, beryllium and crystalline silica, they also have dedicated uh, links on their webpage for both of those with a tremendous amount of information. Beyond OSHA, as I mentioned, you know, depending on the size of your company and the resources available to you, you have your corporate safety or your, whoever your general contractor is. Uh, they may have a safety program or a professional that can certainly help you. Obviously, in addition to corporate safety uh, or that functional responsibility, whatever you call it, you have legal uh, advice and also human resources in terms of you know, how you're managing your program, employees, what type of orientation, training, and so forth they need to protect themselves from the two principal issues we've discussed and many others as they relate to, to COVID. And then finally, of course, there's the third party consulting folks uh, who, uh, you know, who specialize in these kinds of things and are typically available and on short notice uh, to, to assist you and so forth. But again, the, the principal area that you want to rely on is the uh, current updated information that is always available on the OSHA website, and that's certainly easy to get to, OSHA.gov, www.osha.gov, and you're, there's a, a whole world of information that will help us not only with the two uh, principal items that we've discussed, but all the other items, uh, particularly COVID-19 as well. Yep. Good stuff, Jack. Uh, before we sign off, uh, for anyone who has follow-up questions for you specifically or maybe wants to learn more about Fearing International Group, What's the best way that they can reach out to you or access some of Fearing's information? Thanks, Ben. Uh, there are several ways to reach me. Um, obviously, my, my uh, office phone is 908-303-8359. Once again, that's 908-303-8359. We're located in, uh, in western New Jersey, and uh, we are available generally on short notice to assist uh, our clients in any way we can. Uh, and certainly have a great deal of experience in working with OSHA, both in a union, non-union environment, and we understand the kinds of things they're, they're, they're up to. I do have a website as well, uh, www.fearing.fearing- uh, not underscore, but dash international.com. And of course, uh, my email is jack at fearing-international.com. And again, uh, you know, if... Uh, if we can be of any assistance, even guidance, not necessarily on site, but guidance to help you better understand your program and your responsibilities based on the type of exposure that you may have at your workplace. 
Sounds great. I'm sure our listeners will definitely appreciate that. Folks, that's where we will wrap up today's podcast. For Jack Fearing, I'm Ben DuBose. And if you want more insight from us before our next podcast, which will be coming out next week, I strongly encourage you to check out nace.org and also codingspromag.com. Also, if you have not already, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review if you can. That's how we can keep these Codings Pro Interview Series podcasts coming out every week as successfully as we've been doing over these past few months. As always, thanks for listening, and please come back soon for another episode right here at Ace International.